0: I do have um I don't know what to call it I don't want to say it's a strong word I do have <clears throat> a word about discipleship and about um, this thing we've been talking about and comes to disciples and um, you know it, God is does so much during our worship time, and there's so much said and and we catch things, and we miss things, and, you know, it's just all kinds of cool stuff, and there's grace, you know, we, we catch what we can catch, and we miss what we miss, and God will remind us if he needs us. <coughs> One thing I, I do believe, and I want to I wanna offer this to us, when um, we talk about breakthrough so much, and we talk about receiving peace and joy, and we, we talk about... You know, getting the things out of the way that are hindering us, that are blocking us, that are stopping what we believe or what we would call blessings from coming into our life. And it's real easy sometimes to think that all of my problems are just because of the enemy. Like everything I got going on that ain't going right, it's all the enemy. And a lot of that's true. But in the body of Christ, there are an immense amount of self-inflicted wounds. And so your problem isn't always a devil problem. Sometimes your problem is you. In fact, in the 27 years that we've been doing this, and all the hundreds and hundreds and probably thousands of people that I've sat down and talked with, most of the time, it's me that's the problem. My problem, the way I live my life, the way I conduct myself, the way I love, the way I forgive, the way I repent, the way I follow Jesus. And we've been talking about disciples and being disciples and I just I want to share today some some thoughts because I want to bring a challenge to us. that says we probably need to make a shift. You and I need to make a shift. OK, we've been talking about discipleship. We've been talking about disciplines. The class with uh, Brett and Page, please, they're going to help us with this issue. But, you know, one of my main goals as a pastor is to get myself and hopefully some of you looking and living much like Jesus, as much as possible. That means to get us, we've got to get to this place where we think like Jesus, that we live and act like Jesus, that we talk like Jesus, we love like Jesus, conforming my life. And I'm trying to help you also conform your life to the life of Jesus. Now, this is the stated goal of all Christians, right? Everywhere. But here in the Western world, we ain't doing so hot. For instance, there's a study done by Barna. Anybody know who Barna is? He's a, they, do, they do polls and they're kinda, they take the pulse of the, the, the Christian world world in the uh, United States and other places. And they did a study last year in 2023, and they showed that there's around 63% of Americans identify as Christian. Over half our nation identify as Christian. Now, I think we're all probably very aware about the hysteria that's going on right now, and specifically in America. And I'm talking about this hysteria where I can identify as a Chinese teddy bear. Right? Now, anyone with functioning eyeballs can take one good look at me and see that I am just a very handsome middle-aged man. (laughs) Doesn't take rocket science to figure this out. Well, Barna also knows a thing or two. And they know that everything isn't as it looks or everything isn't as it seems. And so they asked some more questions to these 63% identified as Christians. And this poll came back again. And they realized... That only 4% of those claiming to be Christian were actual disciples of Christ. So you can probably see where I'm going with this. We are in a crisis, and it is a severe crisis. 63% identify as Christian. Only 4% of us are actual disciples. You know, in the Catholic world where I was raised, and my wife as well, they use terms to describe these two groups. They call them Catholics, and then there's practicing Catholics. Maybe we should do that here in old Protestant world. There's Protestants, and then there's practicing Protestants. And again, for me, for me as a pastor, I, I mean, this is disappointing. It should be disappointing to you. You should be frustrated. I'm frustrated. I mean, one of my main goals as a professional Christian What you pay me to do. You pay me to be your pastor. You pay me to lead, to be an example, to help you get to this place. And only 4% of us are actually the real deal. And it's frustrating when one of my goals and should be your goals is to get these people who identify as Christian to actually get them to become disciples. And I realize God doesn't hold me accountable for how you live. He only holds me accountable for how faithful I was to obey him. But I still want, man, I still want to see lives radically changed. I want to see the next generation and this generation actually become Radical, passionate, aggressive lovers of God and people who love deeply, who speak truthfully, who serve sacrificially, who live holy. And who go globally in the supernatural power and presence of the Holy Spirit, calling everyone to confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Man, my heart is longing to see that become a reality. As you can tell from the poll, only 4% of us are actually what our mission statement as a church declares to be our goal. The Church of America is mostly producing people who identify as Christians, not disciples. So that's what I want to talk about today. Are you a Christian? Or are you a disciple? And you may be asking, is this even a distinction we need to make, Tom? What's the difference? Is it even important to know the difference? Come on, man. I believe the answer is absolutely yes. Everyone say yes. Just just like the, the lunacy of how men can identify as women and women can identify as men, just like that craziness needs to be exposed and called what it is, we need to discern the difference between someone who identifies as a Christian from those who are actually followers of Christ. Disciples of Christ. And for some people, their soul is on the line. And we need to make this distinction between, because the term Christian and especially America has become a pejorative term to many people. In other words, the word tri- Christian or the, the, the label Christian, it's negative. We're seen as judgmental, harsh. And I can see why. When 63% of us Americans go around saying we're Christian. I mean, that's a lot of people. You cannot not bump into someone every day of your life who claims to be a Christian. You have got so many of us going, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. But anyone watching you can observe you and they can tell that there is very little, if any, of Christ in you. You know, and and maybe you think you're maybe one of those special Christians who, you know, you claim to be a a non-binary gender fluid with your faith. Well, guess what? You're not fooling anyone. Because everyone else can see you're just a dude in a dress. You can laugh at that. That's how silly some of us are in our walk with God. We're pretending to be something that's really not who we are. We're not fooling anyone. And maybe it's time that we even change our terms and so we can help those who identify as Christian actually transform into a disciple of Christ. You know, the term Christian, it's, it's an interesting one. Did you know that Christian is, the word Christian is used only three times in the New Testament? Right there, I'm not going to read them. There's your three three times Christian is used. Now, Christian, literally, the, little, the word Christian means little Christ. Or many messiah And that's a beautiful term. But originally, that term, Christian, was actually used as a religious slur to mock those who follow Jesus. But over time, our spiritual ancestors embraced the slur And they used it as a way to self-identify as those who are truly, truly devoted to the imitation of Christ. But as I was saying, that word no longer expresses that reality to a lot of people. To many in the West, a Christian is just someone who... Mentally ascribes to the very bare bones of Christianity. Which, by the way, Christianity, because how many times that's in the Bible? Mm. Zero. It's not in there. But for most people, when someone says they're a Christian, it just means that it's someone who, who, who mentally just says, yeah, I, the bare bones of Christianity, and, and maybe or maybe not they might attend church. Uh, Who knows? Now, let's compare this word Christian to another word in the Bible. Guess how many times the word disciple is used? Disciple. Guess, just mentally think. Here you go. You ready? 267 times in the New Testament. 267 times. Christian, three times. Disciple, 267 times. Now, there's an author, his name's Michael Berkheimer, and he wrote a book. It was titled Lincoln's Christianity. And he wrote in this book about this long. Running debate over whether or not President Lincoln was a Christian, because it's a debate. Now it's hard to think. Oh, the guy who you know emancipated the slaves, and how could he not be? Well, so in his in his book, Berkheimer said that before you can decide about Lincoln's Christianity, you've got to first confront what is the essential question of what it means to be a Christian. And so then he goes on and he went on to define what a Christian was and he said, It is one who believes that Jesus Christ was divine and part of a trinity, that Christ died for the sins of the world and that faith in this doctrine is necessary for one to gain salvation. And then he says later on, he says, This is a foundation almost all are familiar with. Now, I believe with all that he just said, what he said about Jesus, forgiveness of sins, and pretty much everyone who says they're a Christian says, yeah, I believe those things. But here's what's interesting in his book. But what he says is that he calls a foundation, right? The foundation of Christianity that almost all of us are familiar with. What he's missing in his foundation that we're all familiar with is that he says absolutely nothing about actually following Jesus and actually intending to obey him. truth is that Jesus never used the label Christian. In fact, in Mark 8, he says that he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple, you have got to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Now, what he didn't say was whoever wants to be a Christian, raise your hand. You can see how much we've lost. We've lost a lot when it comes to being called a Christian. So if disciple is the preferred term that Jesus used and Christian only shows up 3 times. 3 times. And the word Christianity is not even in the Bible. Maybe we should start using some different terms as well. Maybe we need to start using some different language in order to have a better understanding of who we are or who we're supposed to be instead of who we're pretending to be. So why do we think this term Christian has come to mean so very little in our modern day society? Well, number one, I think it's because it's easy to identify as Christian. It is really easy to be identified as a Christian. It's not easy to be a disciple. You see, as someone who identifies as a Christian, you don't even need to read your Bible, you don't need to study the Scripture. Right? Because to identify as a Christian in America, honestly, all you need are two verses in the Bible. That's it. Everything else, basically unnecessary to identify as a Christian. Now, what two verses do you need? Well, one is John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay? Why do you need that one? Well someone has to explain to you that this verse is talking about Jesus. Now, once that's clear, Jesus is the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Oh, Jesus is God. Once that's clear, and we know it, we believe it, and if, God, if Jesus is God, it means he can do anything, right? He created everything. He knows everything. All right. I get who you tell me this guy is. And then the next verse you need, everyone already knows this one. All right? John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's it. Jesus is God. He can do anything he wants. I believe that he exists. He's the sky fairy that lives up there. He's my ticket to heaven. All I got to do is say I believe in him. That's all you need to identify as a Christian. Now, sometimes, sometimes we need a third verse. And it's when, um, it's when those other people who are disciples of Christ, it's when they show up and they start meddling around in our lives. Right? They're snooping around. They're sniffing around to see if you actually are who you say you are. You know, they're, they're doing some fruit inspection. They start asking questions like when I, I was asked when I was 19 years old. I identified as a Christian at 19. I identified at 18, 17, 16, 15, 14 when I was raised in hell. Because why? I was raised Catholic. I knew who God was. I knew Jesus was God. I knew he died on the cross. He died for our sins. I knew all that stuff. I believed it. But there was nothing in my life that showed there was any transformation. Transformation. So these pesky people they show up and they meddle around, they start asking you questions like I got asked. Like, what part of you is Christian? You don't live like a Christian. And you don't talk like a Christian. You don't even think like a Christian thinks. What part of you is Christian? Right? You know what happens to me? Same thing happens to you when this question is you get offended. <gasps> what? Whoa. Back up. I am too. And so then we got to pull out that third verse when we get offended and we don't want to do, make any changes. We just want to stay offended. So we got to pull out this third verse. right? Because we need to stop anyone who wants to see any fruit in our life. Are you ready for it? It's right here. It's Luke 23, 42 through 43. And he said, this is Jesus speaking, or this is the crucifixion scene. Two guys are crucified, two thieves on either side of Christ. And one of the thieves says to Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said, Jesus said to this guy, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So the moment someone starts to inspect our life, the moment someone hints that we may be just a dude in a dress, the moment someone hints that we may not be who we say we are, we pull out the thief on the cross. Right? Thief on the cross didn't get baptized. Thief on the cross didn't read his Bible. He didn't pray. Thief on the cross didn't share his faith with anyone. He didn't evangelize no one. And he went to heaven with Jesus. So there. Case closed. There you go. And this is why most people who identify as Christian don't read their Bibles. You don't need anything else. You got your fire insurance. Nothing more is needed. Right? Because everything else in this holy book, I mean, it's just a mystery. <laughs> who can understand it? Right? I mean, the rest of the book, the rest of the Bible, it's just for for the the crazy radicals who don't like to have fun with life. Are you listening to me, youth people? Are you on your phones? Don't be. I'm talking to you today. Don't make me make you sit with your parents. Are you one of those identifying Christians? Are you living just like a dude in a dress who thinks he's a woman? But he's not. So let's look at this other word, disciple. Now, sometimes disciple can be just as confusing to understand as Christian. Because the problem with the word disciple is that we don't really use it much outside of our church circles. And so the Hebrew word that's translated as disciple is this word, Talmud. And it simply means a student of a teacher or a philosopher, not just a learner, but a practitioner. Of an embodied way of life, you drop that phone again and you're gonna put it on the stage. I know who it is. I see you. You are just a kid anyway, so sit down, put your phone away, and listen. We're broken. We're broken. You're broken. He's taking notes. Thanks, Ash. You're always helping those people who are the identifiers. They didn't do anything wrong. They're okay. A Talmud is a practitioner of an embodied way of life. One who is diligently, say that word, diligently working to be with and to become like their master. Now, is there a better word that we could use? Translate Talmud. I think there is. I think we could use a word like apprentice. I think this is a really helpful word. Because it evokes a way of education that is intentional It is embodied, it's relational, and most importantly, it is practice-based. This is a type of learning that is totally different than what most of us grew up with. We think being a good student is what the American education system has taught us. Sit down, shut up, and listen. Right? That's what this is all is. I'm here to bring a lecture. You're here to be quiet and listen. Learn something. Write some stuff down. Will there be a test? I don't know. I hope that final test you get to pass. But none of us grew up with that kind of learning. But that's exactly what Jesus modeled for us. Jesus' model of apprenticeship was a far cry from our Western educational system. You see, as an apprentice, learning wasn't so much about retaining data as it was about uh, gaining essential wisdom for learning, for living. To, you, uh, as an apprentice, you're absorbing the wisdom from those who you are around. This was the ancient method that all of the rabbis, who, which is the term for the teachers in the, in the Jewish uh, nation, This is is the way they train their disciples. So to follow Jesus then, it meant to walk alongside him in a posture of listening, of learning, of observing, of obedience... And of imitation. For Jesus, for his first uh, apprentices, the goal wasn't to pass a test, wasn't to get a degree, wasn't about receiving a certification to frame on your office wall. For Jesus, it was to master the art Of living in God's good world by learning from Jesus how to make steady progress into the kingdom. His apprenticeship, it was less like learning chemistry and more like learning jujitsu, right? Right? You can't read a book and get good at jujitsu. You cannot watch enough YouTube videos. You cannot read enough books. Never going to be good at it. You have to get on the mat. You got to grapple with another dude or another girl. You got to get sweat on them and their sweats on you. That's what an apprenticeship is. So whatever word you want to adopt, whatever translation, there's so many different translations of the word Talmud. Whether it's disciple, apprentice, practitioner, student, follower. Whatever you're going to use, we have got to make a correction And how we use the word. Not just I'm choosing this word, but we've got to correct how we use it. How how I've even used the word Talmud. See, we've got to make a correction because Talmud is a noun. It's not a verb. (coughs) But the problem is, is we don't use it that way. We don't speak of disciple or the word Talmud in noun terms. Right? Here, here's what I mean. And I've asked this and you've asked it and it's been asked of you. Who are you discipling? Or <clears throat> who has discipled you? Now, as far as I can tell, there is not one Time in the entire New Testament where disciple is used as a verb, not once. So for all you English majors and you uh, word Nazis, grammar Nazis, right? Grammatically speaking, then, to use disciple as a verb is very bad form. Here, let me let me make my point. Let's just let's just uh, substitute the word disciple with some of the synonyms that we've we're used to when it comes to disciple. First of all, let's let's use the word Christian. Who are you, Christianing? That's weird. I mean, isn't, Christian's not something you do, right? It's something you are. What about this one? Believer. <laughs> Who are you believer I mean, I thought believe was like you either believe or you don't. You trust Jesus or you don't. How about the word follower? Who are you following? I mean, it just keeps getting more confusing, right? Either you follow Jesus or you don't. And and, and if you've been in church for any amount of time, you know. We, you, you know someone who is bitter because maybe their former pastor did not disciple them, right? Now, what this bitter person usually means is that their pastors didn't spend one-on-one time with them. Now, I agree. As a pastor, we should give our time to foster people's growth in Jesus, no doubt. But I would argue that you can't, you can't disciple somebody any more than you can Christian them, any more than you can believer-er them, any more than you could follower-er them. Now listen. Please, please hear me, because you're like, ugh, you're, you're just, you're doing that thing, Tom, where you're needling down on, is this even that important? I mean, this is just semantics. You're just making a big point out of semantics, right? No. Language matters. Language matters. And here is why. You see, if disciple is something that is done to you, a verb then that puts the burden of responsibility for your spiritual formation on someone else. Like your pastor, your church, friends, mentors. Okay? But, but if disciple is a noun, if it's someone you are or are not, then no one can disciple you but Jesus himself. You must choose to accept Jesus' invitation to a life of apprenticeship with him. I don't freak out because I know you are. I only got a couple of amens on that statement because you're like, whoa, wait, we're supposed to disciple. We're supposed to disciple, right? No, I am not saying that no one has to invest in anyone. That is not what I'm saying. But you are not a disciple of Tom. You're not a disciple of Eric. You're not a disciple of name the famous TV person you love or YouTube preacher. We are disciples. We are apprentices of the Lord Jesus Christ. An apprentice, it is simply anyone whose ultimate aim is to be with Jesus in order to become like him and live the way Jesus would live if he were in your shoes. Vice versa, a non-apprentice. And that could mean you identify as an atheist or you follow some other religion or sometimes you're a Christian, you identify as Christian. But a non-apprentice is simply anyone whose ultimate aim in life is anything else. Anything else. You see, the problem in the West is that we have created a cultural environment where you can identify as Christian but not be an apprentice of Jesus. And one big reason for this is that a lot of preaching of the gospel today does not call people to a life of discipleship. Because, you know, It's like following Jesus is seen as this optional, uh, you know, post-conversion, like a a second track (laughs) for those who want to go further with God. All right, you're in, but who wants to go further with Jesus? Sign up for this program. Tragically, this way of being has created a two-tier church which has a large swath of people who believe in God, maybe they attend church, but they have not rearranged their life. They have not rearranged their daily lives around the foundation, onto the foundation of an apprenticeship with Jesus. And, you know, this is is a strange idea in the writings of the New Testament. That you would say, I'm a follower, but you don't follow. It's a strange stuff. For example, when you read the Gospels, there are two reoccurring groups. There are the apprentices, and there's the crowds. And the apprentices, they included all of Jesus' followers, which were the, the twelve apostles, uh, they, all the women that were a part of his ministry, and, and many others. And then there's the crowds. And the crowds were simply everyone else. The crowds were were the people, they were all the people who were not apprenticing with Jesus. And guess what? There's no third category. There is not a third category of Christian in your Bible. See, there is no category of Christian who generally agrees with what Jesus was saying, but don't follow him. They don't make a serious attempt to obey his teaching. It didn't exist. They're not there. And this sharp divide between the apprentices and between the crowds It is a linguistic device that was used by all four of the gospel writers. They purposefully wrote and used these terms, the disciples, the followers, and the crowds. And they used that term crowd very ambiguously. It was very intentional. Why? Why? Because it was their way of saying to us, the reader, which group are you in? Are you a face in the crowd? Or are you an apprentice of Jesus? Because there is no third option. Here we are 2,000 years later, and especially in the West, this this question is more important than ever. Let me share just a quote by a guy by the name of Dallas Willard. He said, The greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who are identified as Christians Will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from Him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. I could not agree more. The greatest issue facing the world today it is not climate change it's not surveillance capitalism not even human rights not even the threat of nuclear war some of those are crucial but can you imagine how many of those problems would be effectively solved overnight if the billions of living humans who identify as Christian if they all became apprentices of Jesus? What would happen if their driving aim was to approach every challenge the world has to offer in the way that Jesus would do it? We used to wear bracelets to remind us. WWJD. What would Jesus do? Well, he'd buy a bracelet and then smoke cigarettes. No, he wouldn't. See, Jesus is not looking for converts to Christianity. He's looking for apprentices in the kingdom of God. And being an apprentice of Jesus can only be defined as a way of life. Say those words, way of life. Say it again, way of life. You know, the flip being, you know, when you're just a dude in a dress, you're just identifying as a Christian, Jesus is just one part of your life, right? It's, and mostly it's the I don't want to go to hell part. But disciples of Christ, they are making Jesus their only way of life. Now, the original name for this community that were these actual followers, disciples of Christ, these apprentices, the community, they called it the way. Or followers of the way. We've got it in Acts 9 too. It says, And Saul asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. At 1923 it says, About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. 2414 says, But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets. And these are just a couple of examples. But the Greek word for way is hodos. And the word literally means a road or a path. But in the New Testament, it is used as a metaphor for the apprenticeship to Jesus. And so in this, this really beautiful word picture is a very simple but a very revolutionary idea. The way of Jesus is not just a theology, which is just a set of ideas that we believe in our heads. Now it is that, it, that's important, but it's more. The way of Jesus is not just about Ethics. You know, the lists of do's and don'ts and that we obey or we disobey. Now, it is that, it includes it, but it's still more. It's exactly like it sounds. It is a way of life. You know, one way to paraphrase Jesus' invitation to follow me is to say, adopt my overall way of life. To experience the life that I am offering to you. So often in the church, so much is said about what to believe. Oh, you better believe this. Don't believe that. You know, what's right and wrong? I'm not saying that's not good. We need to know right and wrong, we need to know what to believe. But so very little is said about a lifestyle that is conducive to the life with God. And yet, lifestyle is where the money is. I mean, Jesus famously said in John 14, 6, he said to them, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, typically we read this as a statement about who's in and who's out, who's going to hell, who's going to heaven. That's not the full idea of this passage. See, it also means that the marriage of Jesus' truth, which is all his teaching, married to his way, which is his lifestyle, is how we get to the with God life that he offers. In fact, Eugene Peterson, who is the author of the Message Bible, he, he said the Jesus' way wedded to the Jesus' truth brings about the Jesus' life. And then he goes on and he concludes, he says, Jesus as the truth gets far more attention than Jesus as the way. Jesus as the way is the most frequently evaded metaphor among the Christians with whom I have worked for 50 years as a North American pastor. There is a way of life that is modeled personally by Jesus himself that is far beyond anything else that this world has to offer. And it can and it will Open you up to God's presence and power in ways most people only dream. You like what you heard this morning about breakthrough, breakthrough? Part of this is the problem. But it requires you to follow a path. It requires you to walk on a path that is marked out for you by Jesus himself. Jesus says, In Matthew 7, 13, he says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Now again, one interpretation of this teaching is that only a few people get to heaven And they die. And everyone else, you're going to hell. Okay. But we can also interpret it to mean. That the way of Jesus is narrow. Meaning it is a very specific way to live. And if you follow it this way, it will lead you to life. Both now And in the age to come. But the broad way is that of the majority of our culture. Which means follow the crowd. Do whatever you want. You got your truth. I got my truth. And billions and billions of people live this way but it does not lead them to life. Instead, most of the time, it leads to destruction. It leads to countless stories of people falling to pieces and never reaching their promise or their potential. You know, all all the stuff that Jesus calls eternal life, And did you know that eternal life, it's not just a quantity, right? You know, like forever life. It's not just a quantity, but it's also a quality of life. Eternal life is a new way to be human through our union with God. And it begins now and it stretches over into eternity. Jesus was constantly, constantly offering this life to any who would follow him. He says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. He offers us so much life that it says it overflows in Psalm 23. You prepare a table For me, in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, and my cup is overflowing. But guess who's at the table? He's with Jesus. He's not doing a picnic on the beach all by himself. No, Jesus, he made this table in the midst of your chaos, in the midst of your Defeat in the midst of your struggle. The apprentices of Jesus walk with him. And he says, sit down, let's have a meal. What? Are you kidding me? Do you see this? Do you see that? Oh, I got that. Follow me. Just follow me. No, wait, we got to deal with this. Nope. Come on, we're going to eat. I got a meal for you. And you're going to sit down and I'm going to I'm going to massage your shoulders. Right. I mean, this anoint my head with oil. That was a thing that it, it was a it was a, a beautiful act of love. I don't want oil on my head. I use hairspray, but I don't need oil. I need a back rub from Jesus. Sit down, Tom. You like pizza? Here's all the versions of pizza there ever was. You do love me, Jesus. (laughs) And it's overflowing. Why? Because I followed him to the table. I obeyed him when he told me to sit down and rest. When he said eat, I ate. But it seems that it's almost always a minority who say yes to this invitation. But you, you can be one of the faithful few. We can be apprentice to Jesus. Because this wonderful, amazing, staggering offer, it's available to all of us. And if you choose to enroll as his apprentice, and I hope you do, that means, listen, that means tomorrow when you wake up, your entire life is built upon and built around this threefold goal. Be with Jesus, become like him, and then do as he did. Now, this isn't perfectly do it. It's just do it. This is the whole meaning of your existence. And tragically, this is not the same as identifying as a Christian. Don't be just a dude in a dress. Be a real apprentice to Jesus. Here's your action plan. Of course, you've been asking yourself this all morning, and now you need to ask it alone with the Lord. Am I an actual apprentice, a disciple of Jesus, or do I just identify as a Christian? And then I want you to write answers to these questions. How are you going to spend time with your master? What part of your life needs to become more like Jesus' life this week? And then how are you going to do something this week that Jesus would do? We're also reading Luke 18. Please continue to do your here journal or Lexio Divina. We're memorizing Philippians 2.6. Okay, so this is the end. I want you to just close your eyes for a moment. There is an invitation right now. 63% only identify, only 4% are the real deal. But just like the day, yesterday and the day before and for all the days until you die, the love of God and the invitation of Jesus to be an actual apprentice is here. It doesn't matter what version of Christian you've been or not been. Today can start the apprenticeship. So I need you just right now with the Lord. Lord. If there is a conviction and the Holy Spirit is calling you into the actual apprenticeship, I just want you to yourself and the Lord. I just want you to just say, yes, I accept. Yes, Lord Jesus, I will follow you better. I will make it my life's end, my life's goal to build my life around you, your way of life your philosophy of life, I will become an apprentice. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for our lazy Christian life. Forgive us for our hard-hearted, calloused way of life. Forgive us for... Pretending that we're not religious and therefore we don't have to do the stuff. Because we want to be just spiritual. I'm not going to be religious. I don't have to do all the things. Forgive us for that lie. You've called us to follow you, to walk in your footsteps and we repent. So God, I'm asking that you would... With the power of your Holy Spirit, you would fill us again. Just just ask the Holy Spirit to fill you again. We need it, we need it, we need it. Holy Spirit, fill us again today. You didn't call us to be perfect. You just called us to obey. And so today, God, I pray for all of us. That here at New Covenant... Here in Newcastle, that 4% would become 8, become 16, 32. Help us, Lord Jesus, to reach the world with the real gospel that says you must follow. You must follow him. So, God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your way of life. We all need help, so much help, God. And you want to give it because you love us so much. So we surrender our will, our selfish ways of life. We surrender them to you today. May our lives give you glory without a word ever having to come out of our mouth. We love you, God, and we give you praise.